0: At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. R- rational thoughts are going to abound on the show today. We've got uh, Craig Hensel today, my gosh. Um, if you want to hear an interesting stories, stick around, folks. This guy's been a 25 uh, year career. As the U.S. Coast Guard officer, where he served with multiple ships at the Pentagon following September 11th, um, and offshore cleaning up the Gulf of Mexico during the Deepwater Horizon oil spill disaster. Uh, since then, he's worked across the globe as a business leader, corporate executive, successfully leading large-scale businesses. We're talking like huge uh, programs for global organizations that drive profitability, enhance cash flow, and increase agility. And Craig, I want to hear some some numbers on that because it's pretty impressive. Uh, he credits his Coast Guard career with giving him the self-awareness and capacity to develop leaders to assume bigger roles and drive change in their respective organizations. Now, he's on a mission to end veteran homelessness, and the book that he's producing is uh, dedicated to helping veterans find their footing and a role in a bigger role that needs their dedication and leadership. So without further ado, Mr. Craig Hensel, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Doug. Thanks Go a lot ahead. for having me here.
0: Good. Well, thanks for being here. Um, what should, why should people stick around and listen to us today? What are you gonna, what kind of juicy tidbits and wisdom are you gonna bestow upon us? Well,
1: <laughs> you just said, uh, you know, I, when I listened to the intro, I thought, man, this guy's pretty old. Um, it, but what I was thinking of actually was, uh, there's, there's probably a couple of nuggets from the last, we'll call it, 25 years mm-hmm. that I can share with folks that'll either make them smile. Or uh, maybe bring a couple of insights that could help them learn a thing or two, because I've walked uh, this minefield ahead of a lot of folks, and I'd love to, to reach back and kind of help them out.
0: Great, good one. So the the nuggets are going to number one. There's going to be some really cool stories, right? Is that me or you? I gotta check the audio here. Um, the stories he's going to share, folks, are amazing. We're talking like you all heard about Deepwater Horizon oil disaster. Um, where you know people lost their lives, it was a big cleanup. Craig was in charge of the organizational logistics for that whole operation. Talk about that. I'll see if I can talk about um, any drug interdictions he did at the Coast Guard, and most importantly, some of these amazing things he did in business to save and create. I'm talking multiple millions of dollars for companies with some just it might appear what he talked describes it minor shifts in thinking and execution but it can result in huge profits for companies. So that's uh, that's at the end of the show. Stick around for that. First of all, Coast Guard. You know, I got to tell you, a lot of people don't understand it. Like, uh, you know, there's like Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Oh, yeah, we got these guys in the boats that go around the lakes and the stuff like that. That's right. So <laughs> now I know differently. I know you guys, like we said before, like those guys, you know, every other guy in the military is like sitting around waiting for action that most of our life is training. They don't do anything. You guys are on 24 seven actually, you know, on call. I mean, there's things happening all the time, right?
1: It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I never knew that until I got into the coast guard, but yeah, there's, it is, it's a mission that never ends and whether it's a boating safety or it's search and rescue or it's drug law enforcement uh, it's Marine environmental protection, it's oil spill cleanup, those kinds of things they don't happen in a large conflict they happen all the time they happen everywhere and so yeah it's it's amazing it's it's something that um you get a chance to do quite a bit of things uh and respond to many events and you do it at a very kind of low level in your in your uh, career whether you're enlisted or, or you're an officer um coast guard does a phenomenal job i think in terms of pushing down decisions to the lowest level here's a great example a quick one you know, if there's, if there's some kind of a, um, call it a drug interdiction or a search and rescue case that happens, you know, just off the coast, and you've got uh, a small boat station that responds to it, that's generally a petty officer with a few other folks uh, on the team that go and kind of prosecute that case, whatever it is. Um, they have the authority and the jurisdiction to do it. But then if there's some kind of public media event that happens as a result of it, it's not the small boat station officer in charge or the CEO that comes and talks to the, you know, the local news or the national news. It's the person who is on kind of the, the pointy end of the spear. It's a junior person, you know, but that person's confident. They've been trained and they do a phenomenal job. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. You see the Coast Guard on the news. You know, it's not a public affairs officer who's talking to them. It's it's the person who's actually doing the work. Pretty awesome. That
0: yeah. and let's. Well, <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> I'd love, I'd love to hear that story again about when you had uh, a news crew that wanted to come out to Deepwater Horizon when you were. Well, first start beginning about Deepwater Horizon, how you got the, how you got the call. Then we'll talk about the joke, and you can name names and I don't I'm problem with that, but you know.
1: Okay, well, so um, you know, like like many Coast Guard uh, active duty and reservists, I was in the reserves at the time. I was working at, uh, at Merck as a senior finance uh, executive there. And um, I got the call early in the morning. Just came back from a run, and, and the call was from senior person, fairly high up in the chain of command. And they said, uh, you know, Commander Hensel, we, we need to downrange. And so I went. Um, I went down to you know, kind of the bottom of of Louisiana. Stopped in at the um, at the operation center in New Orleans, but then went straight down uh, through and took the crew boat offshore. And was uh the senior person, senior Coast Guard officer uh, offshore, working with a tremendous crew of um of civilian folks um who were absolutely tremendous in terms of their knowledge. They've been doing this stuff for decades. And um, you know, the Coast Guard really relies on folks like that. In this case, so did the so did BP British Petroleum. This is the largest oil spill in the history of the world. And um, so I went down and, and, and was working with um, you know, a, a number of folks um, on a, what we call a kind of skimming fleet number three, and then went onto the command and control ship and, um, and worked kind of the entire problem. There it was 127 ships and uh, we were repositioning satellites, looking at overflights, working with the shrimpers who had kind of lost their, um, their livelihood for the moment as, as oil was spilling all over the Gulf. Now, sometimes it would drop underwater for uh, you know six six feet underwater for a few hours, so a satellite pass wouldn't pick it up. Then all of a sudden, it would pop back up again, and you know it took us a better part of four or five months to clean it up. And um, you know I was I was privileged to be a part of it and learning from uh, you know a lot of the civilian professionals. Uh, I put their names in, into the book, but specifically you know there was a request from um, you know one of the news crews. At CNN to come out and and interview the team,
0: and um, and, and let's just say we have to say a name. but it's a very famous one that everybody knows.
1: <laughs> that's that's right. Uh, somebody with uh, what we call like maybe platinum blonde hair uh, or whitish hair, but um, person wanted to come out and interview the crew. And I said, uh, you know, along with uh, my civilian counterpart there, you know, let's have let's make sure this person comes out on on the crew boat. All of the ship captains all the crew all the groceries all the mail that that the ship service and that um you know the these oil rigs service uh out in the gulf they get delivered to with these crew boats and the the crew boat folks do a phenomenal job getting stuff back and forth but long story short um person didn't want to come out on the crew boat uh wanted a helicopter out asked to be picked up in a small boat and, and and the answer was no, you'll come on the crew boat just like everybody else. You know, 60 miles offshore, probably going to get sick. But, um, you know, if you don't come out on the crew boat, no one's going to respect you. No one's going to want to talk to you. So you're, you're going to need to um, come out on the crew boat. And ended up talking to the producer there, talked to uh the person himself and and uh, cleared it with uh, the commandant of the Coast Guard who was running the operation out of New Orleans. You know, that it was a, my call, our call kind of out on scene. And um, so the person never came out. Um, they were too busy. And that's, you know, that's, that's all right. But I said, clearly, if you don't come out on the crew boat, if you don't take the same route that everyone else did, no one's going to talk to you. No one on the 127 ship fleet that's out here bringing in the oil and no one on this command and control ship, because they are not going to have time for you.
0: And I think that's that's very, very poignant because, you know, your book is about leadership from the front lines, right? That's the, the title of the book. And you know, there's there's a lot of history about leading from the front lines and whatnot and, you know, the, the the top people behind the lines. But in the Coast Guard, your situation, and of course, at work, too, you know, you don't see that the, the front lines is is where the, the leadership really starts with. Is that right?
1: Uh, that's it's 100 percent right. You know, uh, the chapter one in the book, it's about leading from the front. Right. It's leadership from the front lines, not leadership from the rear lines. It's leading from the front. So you're going to need to get out front. It's where you've got the best unobstructed view of what's ahead of you. So you can't lead from the rear and do an effective job. But what leading from the front means is you're not doing the work for your people. You're rolling up your sleeves. You're putting in as much effort, probably more. But you're strategically kind of using the, the kind of telescope. Where are we going? Are we still on target and tracking against kind of you know mission completion goals and objectives? And then down into the microscope, where are we kind of near term today, this afternoon, this week, this month, in order to make sure that, you know, the deliverables, the milestones are met. doesn't matter what the, the project is, big, small, large programs, small programs, the same principles hold true. You have to lead from the front. If you're not leading from the front, you you've got no idea what's going on.
0: Well, yeah, but if your if you're if your initials are AC and you're going just reporting on an event like this, you're not leading, you're reporting, right? I mean, couldn't you come out there and just like interview people and be done and get back?
1: You know what? I, I think you could, but what you don't get is the respect. You're not going to garner the, the the respect from the folks, and they're not going to give you an unobstructed uh, view of the situation. You're not going to have the situational awareness that you would from the team if you're what I would call <clears throat> kind of phoning it in. So right. you were actually you were actually trying to help them do a more authentic job
0: as a journalist.
1: Yes, you know my my suggestion was you get there you get there the same way everyone else did you pay yeah. the same dues that everyone else did you know if you're if you're um, you know sorry if your schedule doesn't uh, doesn't permit it but neither does ours out here we're not going to have time to lower a small boat and come get you. You're going to need to come out on the crew boat we can make time for the crew boat because it's bringing groceries and mail and and sometimes right. crew changeouts we've got time for that we don't have time for for a helo trip and a yeah. small boat yeah.
0: pickup. Yeah. yeah interesting it is i i just thought i just found it you know funny i've got two or three stories i got from national journalists that i i've i've had run-ins with i'm like okay i get it you know um, anyway, moving quite right along. you know, you, it's, I want to also share with, um, the audience today, you've dedicated, um, I'm going to just, I'll just be really transparent here. When we started working together in your book, um, you made a statement about you wanted to end veteran homelessness. Yes. And you didn't say, I want to end it in my community or my city or my state. You said, I want to end veteran homelessness. And my initial reaction was, let's go i'm in for the, our lives right whatever it takes whether it's our generation the next generation i i think that is a um uh, an amazing goal to you know big hairy audacious goal we like those yes but everybody has a, um a tipping point or a, a a moment where these things galvanize in their head and their heart and and get going can you t- tell us how that became i mean obviously you're a veteran but um you didn't become interested in veteran homelessness until you're day in Chicago, I think. You wanted to describe what happened there?
1: That's, that's right. So um, I'm, I, I'm in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm a commander at that time in 05. Uh, I'm on the list for 06, uh, captain. And um, this was a few years back, probably four or five years back. And I'm I'm doing the the consulting work that I'm doing now for this the CFO transformation team here at the company I'm working with uh, called Genpact, great company and I'm, I'm out in chicago working with a team it's a brand new team every time i've probably done 40 to 45 of these things over the last five years since my business was acquired by this company called gem uh by the way they're a former division of general electric great company but i'm out there working for a very well-known consumer goods company i won't say the name but you know everyone knows them you've got stuff in your uh, pantry uh that's from them and, and you know we're in your fridge and so i'm, I'm out there doing a, a, a piece of work and you know I, I get up in the morning get the workout in grab some chow meet up with the team six thirty or so and then i'd walk in um, from the hotel i was staying at in, in downtown chicago be about a mile and a half now we're, we're talking about during the months of, of november december january february right the coldest months in chicago and the wind you know, it, it's like minus sixty. You go down the wrong street. I mean, it, it's incredible. People that live there, they know. People that have visited there, you're absolutely. You, you don't bundle up for Chicago. It, that bundling up doesn't work unless you're native there.
0: I I was driving. I was uh, helping a friend out with some frozen pipes in their in their house. Not outside. It was in their house. <laughs> pipes were frozen inside. Right. It was like, oh, that's pretty serious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know what? That's like a regular occurrence there. So it, it's funny it, it, as I was there. This is an aside, but as as you know, the temperature would drop down to maybe I don't know, like ten or five. But as long as it was sunny out, people in Chicago they show up in shorts, flip flops. It was an awesome thing. Anyway, it's like 6:45 in the morning. I'm walking into the office. It's about a mile and a half walk to kind of wake up, and I'm noticing there are there are people that are lying out side, homeless folks and uh and i'm moving as quickly as i can because i'm frozen but you know as the days go on i'm I'm noticing these people and and i'm thinking how can these people stay outside and uh so then you know a week or so goes by and some of the people are actually up and awake and um so i said hey you know how's it going and then i noticed a couple times that they're laying on a cardboard sign that says homeless veteran, you know, like we'll work for food, stuff like that. And so I stopped and and said, uh, hey, how you doing? Um, You know, there's a, you know, a fast food restaurant, McDonald's right up on the corner here, you know, can I get you a cup of coffee or a sandwich or something like that, breakfast sandwich? And, you know, in the beginning, kind of people looking out of the corner of their eye at you, like, you know, what's what's your your game here? What's the angle? And I said, uh, man, I gotta keep moving, I'm frozen. So uh, I'll catch up with you later. And so I continue to see some of these folks because I'm taking the same route in, and I, and finally I just said, hey, listen, you weren't you weren't hungry like two days ago. Are you hungry now? I'm a veteran, by the way. It looks like you're a veteran if the if the signs, accurate. I'd love to hear what you know what's going on. I'm going to stop. I'll get you know like a breakfast sandwich or something. And so we go, um, and I start to hear these stories about guys who are driving you know convoys and in, in, in the green zone and stuff all around Baghdad and and uh, you know other things and you know they've come back and they've kind of hit some hard times and uh, homeless shelters are full and you know here they are out here on the street and um, so I put a call into the mayor's office talked to a couple of people on the staff there don't actually get him but um, I said you know what's going on out here and I'm, I'm from the Philadelphia area I'm taking these guys to breakfast there's three four or five of them now we're all going to breakfast together almost every morning and um i'm saying you you probably want to get out of your office take your whatever big suv that you probably got drive down here maybe meet us for breakfast we never get anyone to meet us for breakfast but you know i thought then this is something that um we got 50,000 or 60,000 veterans that are out homeless every single night sometimes with families we're doing some great things right now with folks, you know, interpreters that we've used in Afghanistan and stuff and spending a lot of money on them. And I think it's the right thing to do, but it'd be nice. If we diverted some of that cash, taking care of the people that have been bleeding red, white, and blue for this country for decades and, um, are now having a little tough time probably, uh, exacerbated by the pandemic. So that's what kind of caused me to think, you know, this is something that we need to solve. We need to solve the root cause. And never have to deal with it again. So, folks that are that are moving out of the services, that are detaching, you know, being released from active duty, we've got a home for them. We've got uh, roles for them, and you know, we we've, we've got to show a little pride here. And I thought this is the time to do it. And and while the commute was cut on either side of the of the pandemic here, as we've been working from home mostly, certainly not at the customer sites. That's what led me to to pull the book together. Doug, you know, with with your help, sincerely appreciate it. And and we'll see what we can get done here because I think it's solvable. I think it's solvable in five years. Once we've got a dedicated crew and a mastermind team to get it done.
0: Yeah, as long as we as long as we keep the government out of it, we could probably pull it off. We would probably do it <laughs> in four years then. <laughs> I don't mean keep them out of it. I mean we lead and they can follow as opposed to the other way around. Totally, um, totally understand. Yeah. The
1: VA, there's a bunch of groups that are that are doing some good work. Yeah. We need to leverage them.
0: Right. And they're there, there's yeah, we just want to um well, you and I both know. I mean, there's there's the bureaucracies are there for a reason, but sometimes they get a little bit bloated or a lot bloated, and they they forget why they're there. So with this mission, the mission is to end veteran homelessness. You've got some great concepts to to pull it off with reusing the containers and like you said, the transition period and retraining and focusing on the individual and there yeah, if we can get support from other entities whatever those are it'll be awesome so we're gonna uh, launch a book here hopefully right around veterans day if possible we'll see and uh be looking for that in the in the very near future yes yeah, so um, all just
1: to, just quickly uh, i think yeah. you mentioned it but i'll double down on it Doug. Yeah. The, the, the net proceeds go to solving veteran homelessness so this isn't uh this isn't something where it, it's a like a passive wealth income stream or something. No, it's a pass through. So, over the cost of, of the book, everything else goes to veteran homelessness. Everything that comes from the book will go to veteran homelessness and solving that. So, it's something that uh, a number of us are, are serious about, and we're going to make it happen.
0: And as as a as a person who's checked out uh, the costs of nonprofits, I'm I'm uh, going to say this in front of you and this is live. So, you know, but we're probably not going to have a lot of expenses on this, right. it will be down to the, you know, zero point. We're not going to, there's not gonna be a board of directors making a hundred grand a year in this thing. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I think the board of directors is probably you. It's me. It's one other person. And I think we all have jobs. Yeah. Uh-huh, so there's, right. there's, yeah, this is a, this is a complete pass through and I'm a CFO, um, yes. consultant for mm-hmm. the fortune 100. And, um, yeah, I can guarantee you that
0: okay great that's an important point because you know I'm you were around when I, when they had the big uh oh you know united way scandal a few years ago in different places and even even um even the uh what was the big one wounded warriors got busted for spending a lot of money administrative costs and fundraising I'm like man it's uh it's
1: it's, it's something that um sometimes scope creep can happen. And as you try and do the right thing, there are other folks that have their hand kind of in the till and, and they're looking to uh to try and generate some kind of wealth from themselves. That's what not that's exactly what this is not about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're more yeah. like the uh what's the Marine Corps Toys for Tots has like a hundred and two percent um rate because they take the from the funds, and invest it while they're waiting to buy the toys. So it's like yes. a, it's yes. it's a hundred and two percent pass through. That's, that's correct.
1: correct. You get everything and more. And as, <laughs> and as I like to say, uh, you're welcome.
0: That's right. That's right. Hashtag you're welcome. Craig Hensel. All <laughs> right. So I want to I want to finish up with the juicy stories you told me about when you're talking to these companies, you're working with the Fortune 100, which most of us are not. Um, but we can learn a lot of lessons from you folks. And you mentioned some stories about going in and looking at operations, looking at um, like product development and going like boom, boom, boom. And you took like a what it was like an eight month thing and brought it down to a few weeks, and it was like an eight or maybe a nine figure benefit to the company. It's massive. Remember? And you've done it more than once. But give me one of those your favorite story of what you've done with there.
1: Sure. Um, so I've done a lot of work in consumer goods companies, yeah. retail companies, life science, healthcare. Uh, worked at General Electric, Johnson and Johnson, Merck, AstraZeneca. Uh, and I mentioned probably 45 different companies in the last five, five and a half years. I think I just went over the, I, I got a little, uh, hey, welcome to your five and a half year anniversary. Uh, yesterday, I think it was so, so timely. But, but I remember going in and taking a look at a, a new product development, end-to-end cycle time, and um, just looking at it from, from the aspect of how much time does it take? from kind of ideation where you're coming up with the ideas and maybe there's 2000 ideas and they funnel down into 850, into 273, down to 50 that you're going to launch that year. And the, the process itself took like 450 days. And that just seemed long to me. And, uh, I brought in a team and we took a close look at it and we mapped it out end to end five stages. Ideation, you know, kind of develop, design, development, commercialization, launch. Those aren't the exact five, but you get the idea kind of end to end. 450 days-ish, right? Plus or minus. And, um, and we realized after we took a look at it and we mapped the whole thing out that over 300 days were considered non-value added. The definition of which is the customer's not willing to pay for it. So the customer's not willing to pay for extra meetings or even kind of quality assurance type stuff or putting a formula up on stability or something like that. Those are important things, they're business value added. But if you ask the customer, I don't wanna pay for extra reviews. I don't need to pay for extra meetings. I don't need to pay for scrap or waste or anything like that or how long it takes you to change over your production lines. And so we started taking a look at, at how do we understand what the root causes are and ripping out days in the beginning well we don't need that we don't need that then we took started taking out weeks and then we took out months and, and out of this in a very short period of time we had ripped out about six months and why that was important was some of the key metrics right the kpis the key process indicators that the company was tracking was things like this right you want to know kind of How long does it take to hit peak? How long does it take to hit first year sales? How long does it take to hit peak year sales, right? How fast, what's the speed of profitability on this? And so as you start thinking, this company's coming out with eight, 10, 12 new products a month. So extremely short cycle business. What we are able to do was in, in the in the nine figures over the course of like a three four year period the the time that it took to get to peak your uh, sales we shrunk that six months minimum and then we had a whole roadmap of items and a transformation plan that would get them to you know call it another six another six months you know that was going to take a little bit longer but the low-hanging fruit the stuff that was on the ground the ground fruit we just picked up put in a basket we took care of all of that, uh, was able to kind of ring the register on it and tremendous, tremendous benefit. So we've for, done that a number of times.
0: For people who aren't familiar with um product development and the Fortune 100 or whatnot, there's a cost associated with this time and personnel and tooling and everything where you're making designing a product, taking for 400 and some days down to six months. What was the savings on that?
1: Well... You know, so there were a number of different franchises, a number of different uh, product lines. And when you start to multiply it over all the franchises, over over the two business units that were kind of governing this, you were were in the hundreds of millions almost right out of the gate. And then you, you were in the billions of range at the end of a couple of years and multiple billions. And then you start thinking about, okay, so this is kind of in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to almost boggle your mind because then you're taking that curve, that model, and you're you're sending it all the way out into almost infinity. Mm-hmm. So how much were you saving? Well, in six months, it was hundreds of millions. And in a couple of years, it was several billion dollars. And then. And then how about in the next 10 years? Because you're leveraging, you know, when you've eliminated the root cause there, you're never having to go back. To those same old kind of broken manual mm-hmm. processes, so it's it's something that's still paying. It's still paying huge dividends even now.
0: Did the did, uh, they, did they give you percentage uh, savings there, Craig? How that work with you and your team? No. <laughs> you know what I got? I got I got a really t-shirt. kind of solid a solid pat on the back, Craig. You know what? Heck of
1: a job. We'd like to give you another two or three of these things these these kind of hairballs that no one's been able to solve before. Um, you know, it looks like you've got a team that can, that can solve these things. So yeah, we're, we're not going to give you any of the easy ones. Anyone can do the easy ones. It's the kind oh, of the does. teams that can, can lead from the front. That'll go after and nail these things that are, this is the sweet fruit. Now this isn't the low hanging or the stuff. Yeah. that's like, oh, you're, you're. This is the stuff that's right up against the sun. That's getting all the sun. and And this, these are high value targets.
0: You know, you kind no. of look like um George Papard from the A team, the original series. Now you're like you got the the tough mi- the tough missions here. Yeah. I yeah. like that. So, for a a smaller medium business, they don't, you know, they're not they're not looking at those kind of numbers, but they do create products and there is obviously um development time and thought time and and product testing and whatnot. So, are there any takeaways on, on like a simple thing for a a small company could do when they're d- rolling out a new product or a course or um service hundred percent the
1: the principles hold true and they scale up or down Mm -hmm. so taking a look at something end-to-end is always a great idea and and objectively right so you're bringing different minds to it and one of the chapters in the book leadership from the front lines is around you can learn from anywhere so you're bringing you're bringing in the admin assistant you're bringing in the junior analyst you're bringing the folks that have been there 15 20 years you're bringing the ceo because they're all coming in with different mindsets you go and map that thing out kind of end to end, and you start to look at it. And then everyone has a chance to weigh in, right? Everyone has a voice that that sounds kind of like in vogue now, but literally everyone has a chance to weigh in. If you got to do it silently, you do it silently. But the idea is because people are coming at it from different perspectives, someone's got to order the stuff in order to have the manufacturing team put it together. So the yeah, new product development yeah. teams are important, but. The procurement folks are just as important, and the folks who are paying the bills on the back end, and, and the payables team—that's important. The folks working with the customers on the on the front end and doing the order management and stuff like that—they're everyone has a, a kind of a part to play. It's harnessing the collective intelligence of the team that is going to be key. And it doesn't matter whether you're—we use this when uh, a few of us started started a business that 20 months later we sold here to to Genpact. We use yeah. the exact same principles. And that was nice. three of us to begin with grew to like 10, 12, 18 folks. But so it's a small kind of entrepreneurial all the way up to kind of a large company. The
0: same things hold true. Nice. 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 Brilliant stuff, Craig. Very impressive. Called the leadership on front lines be available on Amazon this November. And any any uh, parting words, sir? Um. Yeah, I look forward to hearing feedback from you guys on it. I'd lo- love for you to read it.
1: Love for you to yep. tell me wh- where you think you agree, where you think I'm off, um, where you think uh the next book's gotta go to, because I think you know, we're gonna probably launch a couple of these things, maybe even in a series. Right. All of it's gonna go to solving veteran homelessness. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. if you've got ideas about other things that that are on your mind, I'd love to hear about them. So I, I appreciate that and thank everyone for uh for their uh, vote of confidence here, and, and a it. download, and a quick read, and a and love to hear your feedback.
0: Let's make it happen. Yeah. Leadership from, from the front lines. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it.
1: Yes, Doug. all right.
0: That's our show for today. Please uh, go ahead and click below, subscribe, uh, get the show notes from Craig's call today, and also get the book Leadership of the Front Lines. Every book you purchase goes towards helping us end veteran homelessness. This is Doug Crow with the Author your Branch.